Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. Congress has not passed meaningful immigration reform in more than two decades. So when President Joe Biden took office in 2021, he promised to craft immigration policies far more humane than those of his predecessor and to, quote, reassert America's commitment to asylum seekers and refugees. But the realities of immigration during the Biden years have been far more mixed. Indeed, in recent months, the administration has put in place more restrictions on who and how people can claim asylum in the U.S. and at the U.S.-Mexico border. These rules are some of the administration's harshest asylum policies yet. And these tightened restrictions are coming just ahead of the end of the Trump-era border restriction, Title 42. Now, you'll remember that since 2020, Title 42 has allowed border security to turn away hundreds of thousands of migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers who are attempting to enter the country through the southern border. Title 42 is set to expire when the Biden administration lifts the COVID-19 National and Public Health Order on May 11th. And the White House has voiced concern about a possible surge in migration at the border when Title 42 expires. For more on this, we're going to talk now with Krish Omara Vignaraja, President and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. Krish, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Nice to chat. And also Isabella Diaz, who is a reporter at Mother Jones covering immigration. Thanks for joining us, Isabella. Hi, thank you for having me. All right, Isabel, I want to start with you. Just in the past three months, Biden administration has kind of ramped up its immigration policies. Can you talk us through what has happened since January? Absolutely. So earlier this year, we saw the Biden administration announcing a set of border-related measures um, in anticipation of the end of Title 42. And these policies, I guess, could be described as carrot and stick policy. So, you know, the the Biden administration is making it it easier to turn away migrants and asylum seekers from countries like Cuba, Venezuela, Haiti, and Nicaragua, while at the same time offering a pathway for them to be led into the country through a process called parole. Um, You know, if they have sponsors in the United States, they would be allowed to stay in the country for two years. And so the Biden administration has also made it uh, so that in order to apply for entry into the country legally, migrants and you know asylum seekers need to use an app called the CBP1 app, which you know I think it's worth mentioning has um, it's far from perfect. You know there have been some um, reports of migrants facing a lot of challenges in terms of you know being able even to connect with the app because of Spotify spotty Wi-Fi connection and issues with uh, facial recognition in in the camera function, especially for migrants with darker skin colors. So first of all, you're telling me at first when I heard you say app, I assumed that you were talking about an application, a particular way of applying to come in. But you mean quite literally uh, 
an app on a mobile device and then you're telling me that there is a facial recognition challenge related to some of what we've talked about many times here on The Takeaway relative to complexion. Exactly. Yeah. So that's it's a smartphone, you know, application. And yes, there have been reports from advocate groups who are helping migrants, um, you know, try to get appointments. And there have been reports that, um, you know, the camera function is very glitchy. And also, um, sometimes you will not recognize or it will take some more time to recognize people with darker skin. I want to just stay on this for a moment. Is this within the context of, you know, other Democratic or Republican presidential administrations? Is what we're seeing from the Biden administration since the start of the year in line, harsher or more open? Right. So, I mean, I think what you will hear from you know, the Department of Homeland Security and the White House is, you know, they are very determined in differentiating their approach to the border from the Trump um, era policies. Um, and but in practice, I guess what you will see is that they are making it considerably harder to seek asylum in the United States in a way that asylum is hardly, you know, recognizable um, at this point. So one of the harsher policies that they have introduced and has been, you know, accurately compared to a Trump era policy that was known as a transit ban will make it so that migrants, asylum seekers who cross through other countries on their way to the United States and fail to seek protection in those countries, those people will be ineligible for asylum in the U.S. And that was, um, you know, with few exceptions, including for unaccompanied minors and, and, you know, in cases of imminent danger. But, you know, that policy during the Trump years, the transit ban was blocked in the courts multiple times for violating asylum laws. So I think it's safe to say that the Biden administration will be facing legal challenges, you know, moving forward with this policy, which, you know, is essentially a virtual ban on asylum, even though they don't want to put it that way. Okay, Chris, I want to bring you in here as Isabella is is talking about the likely challenges. Can you tell me a bit about what advocates and immigrants' rights groups are saying about these policies since January and sort of how you all may be gearing up going into the end of Title 42? Yeah, I think litigation is undoubtedly something we should expect, and we should expect it um, not just from immigration advocates, but those, um, you know, conservative attorneys generals um, where we've seen litigation already. So we've seen a lawsuit filed to end DACA and dismantle protections for dreamers who call the U.S. home since they were children. We've seen litigation to keep the Biden administration from ending Title 42 asylum restrictions. Uh, there's been litigation against Biden's enforcement priorities, which really just directed immigration officials to prioritize violent offenders for deportation. And of course, there's been lawsuits about how the administration issues parole to migrants seeking safety, both at the border and from their home countries. Um, so that's all to say that the federal court system has been a battleground for immigration policy, obviously, in terms of the transit ban, which looks quite like what President Trump instituted uh, roughly four years ago. Um, I do expect we will see litigation because obviously, um, you know, there's a good chance that these lawsuits, they may be, they may be filed from President Biden's, you know, fr from both flanks. And, and I think it is concerning because 
we expected to see a very stark contrast with the previous administration. And the truth is, we have seen policies that very closely mirror uh, a Trump era um, in, in some areas. Do you have a sense of why? Well, I think that, um, as Isabella said, I, I do think this administration um, believes that the carrot stick approach is a is a, a smart uh, uh, policy, and I, I think perhaps a political strategy. Um, I think the difficulty I have with it is that the carrot and stick approach makes sense if a if a if a person has a real choice to choose the carrot before they face the stick, uh, because in this case the carrot is offered to only certain nationalities or it requires people to have things like a U.S.-based financial sponsor or to have a passport or to be able to afford a a flight to the U.S. Um, It's difficult when you see the stick being applied to them when they seek to exercise their legal right at the border. Um, One more follow-up on this. You use that language of legal right at the border Help us to understand this, because so frequently in our public discourse, um, the sort of language around um, immigration, particularly those who are seeking to enter the U.S. through the southern border, is language about um, being unauthorized or illegal. And so when I hear you say legal right, I want to be sure you clarify that for us. Yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity because it is difficult um, to, to hear some of this rhetoric and obviously want to make sure that people understand an asylum seeker can really only seek the right of asylum when they reach American soil. Um, that contrasts with a refugee, for example, who will cross the third country border and then apply to the UN or the US um, in order to be resettled here in the US. And so for families who are fleeing the most dire of circumstances, they're facing war, persecution, um, you know, uh, attacks because of uh, a social group that they uh, or political group that they identify with. They're coming to the U.S. in the most desperate of circumstances, and they are asking for legal relief. Now, that's not to say that there is never an instance of a migrant who's crossing the border seeking to go undetected. But honestly, from the clients that we interact with, these are folks who really do want legal status, right? They want their chance to have a day in court, to be heard, to to hopefully um, have the protections that American soil can afford them and to live uh, long-term here. And so I think it's it's really important to understand th- these are not people who are, are burrowing in the soil and then they're going to go to some corner of the country and live there, you know, for years um, w- without trying to seek legal uh, authorities. These really are people who are trying to exercise a legal right that is codified in both U.S. and international law. Isabella, why pursue a policy um, likely to make everyone unhappy when you're coming up on an election year? Do you have a sense in your reporting about how they're reading the politics of this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think also it's relevant in this context to, you know, just acknowledge that the Biden administration and, you know, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, they are under a lot of pressure. You know, the uh, Republicans in the House have been vowing to start impeachment proceedings against uh, Mayorkas. And so, you know, there there are real challenges that they um, that they are facing. Um, And I think, you know, if you hear Mayorkas, he will say we are a we are a nation 
of um, migrants and we are also a nation of laws. And I think that's what they are striving to do here. And, you know, he has said also that, you know, all policies should be on the table. We also saw, you know, recently um, reports that the administration might be bringing back family detention, which is also, you know, something that um, have been received with a lot of criticism um, from immigrant rights groups. And, and you know, but I think their approach is we have to try, you know, every tool we have in our toolkit, even though it is a flawed, incomplete um, toolkit. Okay, both of you stick with me. We're going to be right back in just a moment with more on the Biden administration's recent immigration policy. This is The Takeaway. Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. Join us for If This Hall Could Talk, a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and together we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for sticking with us on The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. And we're still talking with Krish Omara Vignaraja, who's president and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. And with Isabella Diaz, a reporter at Mother Jones covering immigration. We've been talking about the Biden administration's new restrictions on who can claim asylum and how they can do it at the U.S.-Mexico border. All right, Krish and Isabella, I want to take a moment and listen to a White House press conference last Tuesday. This is our White House press secretary responding to this claim that the Biden administration policies are pretty close to Trump era immigration policies. Let's take a listen. A lot of people have compared what the president is doing as either extending what Trump did or being very Trump-like. And I just want to make sure that that is not, that is not what is happening here. What we saw in this last administration, the administration before us, was a gutting of the immigration system. All right. So I'd love for both of you all to respond to that. Maybe, Chris, I'll start with you. There are some notable policy differences, and I want to make sure that the administration does get credit. You know, many of President Biden's executive actions on immigration have been rescinding Trump policies. In his first few weeks in office, he ended the Muslim ban and the public charge rule. He also launched the Family Reunification Task Force to reunite thousands of families that Trump's family separation policy had ripped apart. And while this administration has struggled to rebuild the formal refugee program, he did raise the admissions target from Trump's record low of 15,000 per year, all the way up to 125,000, although we haven't gotten anywhere close to that in the last couple of years. And then finally, you know, we have seen the administration use a new program to allow for 80,000 Afghans after the fall of Kabul, more than 100,000 Ukrainians after the Russian invasion. But there are some seriously concerning overlaps. And it does worry us that some of the Trump administration's most harmful policies won't necessarily stay in the dustbin of history. And I think that's where we look to Title 42, which has been largely kept in place, the new asylum ban, which has been proposed to be instituted when Title 42 ends. And then, of course, as Isabella mentioned, um, family detention, that's been floated as a potential policy that they would reinstitute. And Isabella, let me also bring you in on this. What else do you hear there? Yeah, so I mean, I think 
It was common to hear during the Trump administration that their immigration policies, often cruelty was the point, you know, using cruelty as a way to try and deter people from migrating to the United States. And I think that's not the case with the Biden administration. I think, you no, know, they don't intend for cruelty to be a point. But it is, like Chris said, it is absolutely right that there are so many overlaps. And I think what is frustrating for immigration experts, immigrant rights groups, and people on the ground is that that contrast right between what they com- campaigned on and promised to do upon taking office and kind of the reality um, and the consequences of the policies that they are actually implementing. So it's hard for them to have it both ways without rightfully so getting backlash and pushback. I want to, Chris, come to you because in making these kinds of critiques, it's always valuable to also think about what the alternatives are. What could sound immigration and asylum policy at the border look like? What are the alternative options, especially given that there isn't a a good sense that Congress is about to act on this? What else is available? Yeah, in terms of what President Biden could do um, using executive authority, I think part of it is restoring asylum. Um, Some of this, as Isabella said, is trying to reduce the disparity between what candidate Biden pledged and what we've seen President Biden do. Um, That means opting for a well-resourced border infrastructure. You know, we certainly saw some of that in President Biden's budget proposal with $25 billion for CBP and ICE to hire additional agents and build up processing. There's also contingency funds to respond to surges. We see additional funding for HHS to scale up services for unaccompanied migrant children. And I think building that infrastructure means that we will see less of these images of crisis at the border, which have obviously captivated the national attention. But beyond funding and resources, there needs to be a recognition that the buildup on our border is because our immigration system writ large is so dysfunctional. And so that's where obviously Congress does need to play a role because of three decades of inaction. Some of what we want to see is pathways that ease the strain on the border. Those pathways could be similar to what we've seen announced from the White House in terms of the parole process for Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans. But it's also rebuilding the refugee resettlement infrastructure. That is something that is completely under the control of the Biden administration. And then I guess finally, You know, I think some of this is about making the case, uh, right? I mean, what worries us is that you have on the one side a lot of myths and no one really fighting the fiction with fact. And on the other hand, you have a strong argument for why the U.S. needs to be leaning into immigration. We have 11 million jobs that are unfilled right now, only 6 million American workers who could fill them. So that's a 5 million gap. And that's not something that's going away. So if you want to talk about inflation, You've got to talk about immigration. And I think drawing that connection is important because otherwise Americans could hear one side and the rhetoric about fentanyl and and crime and not understand that that's not only not true, but immigrants are going to be a core part of how we remain an economic superpower. Absolutely. Is there any reason to hope for congressional action on immigration reform? I think, you know, most people would agree that, you know, that ship has sailed at this point. You know, there there were some bipartisan talks um, late last year. But I think, you know, when 
Congress split and, you know, just based on when we see the kind of rhetoric coming from some of the House um, Republicans and, and in their border hearings, a lot of, you know, kind of in, anti-immigrant stances, I think it is very unlikely that any sort of legislation that is, you know, significant and comprehensive and targeting immigration will come to pass, you know, um, it's been hard to even find common ground when it comes to dreamers, children who came to the country as as children and, and inspire a lot of sympathy and, and empathy and, and even them. You know, it's hard to come to um, an agreement on how to provide them with a permanent um, legal path. So I, I am not very optimistic on, on that front. Isabella Diaz is a reporter at Mother Jones covering immigration. And Krish Omara Vignaraja is president and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Thank you.